This front row has receded further than my hairline over the course of the last couple days here. I don't know why you guys are so far away. Maybe, maybe you heard that I spit, I don't know. Um, well, here we are. It's the uh, final session of our conference that we've called The Harvest is Truly Plentiful. Um, I have both the, the best of jobs here, because really all I have to do is give you my personal highlight reel from the weekend and, and put a little bow on it and we're done. Um, and yet I also have the, uh, the challenge of closing out the conference and... and um, the challenge is added to by the Lord because I had uh, I had two pages uh, of notes prior to the the weekend. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a few months. The Lord had made it really clear to me that uh, He wanted me to share this message, and uh, so I had a couple pages of notes with references and other things I was going to talk about. And over the course of the day, uh, every single one of those has been covered by somebody else. <laughs> And so I was sitting there this morning with the Lord and, and he, had, he had made it very clear to me that I was to shift gears and it is now at, at the 11th hour <laughs> evident why he did that. Um, all the stuff I'd been thinking about, we've thought about today and that's, that's encouraging. Um, that means that when I was preparing the Spirit weeks and months ago, um, the Lord showed me what we were going to talk about today. I didn't even know who Norman McCallum was, and he covered a third of my material. I, I've known Boaz since we were kids, and I ne- other than the couple times we've done it here under the tent, uh, I never would have expected us to speak together at anything. And he took another big chunk of my material, and then Scott DeGroff finished it off this, in the, the discussion session today. So I'm, I'm simultaneously filled with joy seeing your faces, recognizing all of the awesome stuff we've heard, but also aware that there's a burden that I carry and that um, I need to make sure that I'm handling the Word of God carefully and, and bringing it to you. So um, I'm going to give you all SARS today. Um, there's four things that I'm going to do. I'm going to tackle it piece by piece. I'm going to give you a summary of what we've heard, some highlights, some, some themes that we've heard over the weekend. I'm going to talk about attitude. What's my attitude? And, and I, I want to be clear that I'm directing this at myself first. What's our attitude when we hear this message? Um, what's the response then from that? And then a send-off, uh, uh, an encapsulating couple verses. Um, the reason why I'm doing this is because I think that it's important that we don't just transfer information here. This, this session, this conference, isn't just about telling you all about the awesome missions that God is doing. Because while that's awesome and it's really good and it encourages us, that doesn't really do anything in our lives unless we have a transformation. So I, I want to make sure that what I talk about is practical and then it's relevant to me and you. Not that what we've heard hasn't been, but there's a temptation at conferences when you're drinking from a fire hose, taking in all this um, information, that it's just that. Because I sat in hundreds of conferences and I don't remember a single thing from most of them because it was just information and it slipped, slipped out of my head. And, and so what, what I really want to see in my own life, and maybe some of you as well, want to see this, but I want to see a change in the way that I interact with you, the way that I interact with my neighbors, the way that I interact with our community, and the way I pray. Um, And so I want to see a transformation. So I'm just going to sort of rewind time as it were. And so uh, I'm going to cover very quickly here uh, the the six sessions that we've had already. this morning we heard from Boaz about the Lord of the harvest. Um, there's two parts to that. Jeremy um, aptly pointed out the response of Isaiah, and we'll talk about that very briefly as well. But um, it's a response to seeing the Lord and, and what happens. And Lordship demands something. And Boaz 
covered four things that lordship demands from us. If Christ is Lord, what, what does that demand from us? And it demands surrender and faith. And there was, he covered four things. And if you're a note taker, you've got them. And I'm just trying to remind us about the person of Christ. Because the first step in becoming this missional person who is, is taking on the image of our missional God is to know him. If we don't know who he is, how could we ever tell anyone about him in a way that carries any meaning or weight? Um, and so it's important that we have a picture, like Isaiah did, of the glory of the Lord. And I thought Boaz did a great job of using that passage in John to illustrate that. Last night, Derek Hofer brought us the message of the harvest, really. He brought us the gospel message. And, and he did a wonderful job talking about the substitution of Barabbas and Jesus. And that's a picture of me. And if I can be bold, that's a picture of you. We are that rebellious murderer, Barabbas. And we got to go free because of Christ. He took my place. And that's awesome. That's the great news of the gospel that we can have life because he offers it and he has eternal life. And so we have the message of the harvest. Uh, Yesterday morning, we had therefore pray. And we had the challenge of, as we think about missional mindset, as we think about the harvest that's out there and how the Lord Jesus reacted to that harvest that he saw, our response as we pray, and I, I'm going to be honest, I, I've prayed before and not really meant it. I've prayed before about groups of people and thought, oh man, it'd be great if the gospel went to them, but I certainly wasn't willing to go. And so we were challenged with the prayer of Hannah. I will give. And so just I'm just trying to refresh our minds here before we get into attitudes and responses, but but we've, we've got the Lord of the harvest and he's glorious. We've got the message of the harvest, which is that this glorious Lord loves dirty sinners like me. So what will I give as I pray to the Lord of the harvest? I will give. Um, yeah. Before that, we had the laborers are few. Brother Josh brought that out. He talked about portability and being pilgrims and how um, we connect with with people in our communities and and how we share the gospel and we've actually really covered that in a bunch of our breakout sessions and and all that stuff has been showcasing this concept of how Christ sent out the disciples and first he sent 12 and then he sent 72 and then we find out in first Corinthians 15 that that he showed himself to over 500 at once and so this this explosion, this multiplication of disciples, of followers of Jesus, that, that should be normative. And we should be engaging with people wherever we are because we, we see that happen, right? Paul engaged with Aquila and Priscilla, we heard about, and, and I'm not going to re-preach these messages, so I'll keep moving. Um, then the morning before that, we had Jesus' vision. What did, and we, we thought about Lord, what do you see? We thought about how um, sometimes we're tempted when we see someone to judge them by their outward appearance. And we thought about how the Lord looked at this crowd and he didn't, and how our temptation and my brother shared that his thought would be there's a lot of people in a lot of pain with a lot of problems. And so often that's my perspective on people as well. And yet Jesus saw something different. And so we pray, Lord, what do you see? Lord, what do you want to show me? And that was a powerful message as well. And, and back to Friday night, the first, the kickoff, we, we thought about Jesus beholding the multitude and, and, that, and how he had compassion on them. Passion and suffering go hand in hand, we were reminded. When you really, really are passionate about something, you will suffer. You will sacrifice for that. 
who better displays that than the Lord Jesus, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, right? He didn't give something cheap. He gave his only begotten son. The Lord Jesus Christ so loved you and I that he gave his very life. And we remembered that celebrating the Lord's Supper yesterday morning. Compassion fueled Jesus' ministry. Hopefully, for those of you who have just heard me sort of summarize that, you're not horribly offended by how I summarized what were amazing sessions, and I I enjoyed all of them thoroughly. But I just wanted to try and remind us of where we've been on our journey together this week, this weekend. And now I want to take us to a challenge. Um, the challenge is, is what will my attitude be in response to having heard all this? And I, I um, I'm going to reference four people, four characters, four personalities from the Bible. Uh, they're four men and their response. And just because I'm a nerd, they all, all their responses start with the letter E because then it's easier for me to remember. Um, that may not be the easiest way for you to remember, but it, it helps me. And so um, we're going to go through four responses. Three of the responses are varying degrees of bad uh, to, to maybe okay. And one of them is excellent. So um, we'll see if you can figure out which one's which. But I want to talk about four people from the Bible, and this just this is what the Lord laid on me to, to be the main part of what I talk about. Um, and it's, our, it's an attitude check for me. What, what takes this week from being just uh, a deluge of information, a transfer of information from a bunch of people who've been in the mission field? We've heard from Mackenzie at YFC in Portage. We've heard from Becky Q at Sandy Bay. We've heard from Norman about up north. We've heard from so many people and we've, we've talked about different things. And, and what prevents this from just being a transfer of information is our attitude towards what we're hearing. And that's what becomes then a transformation in my life. We'll get to that in response. But, but I want to talk about four men and their attitude towards hearing from, from God. In one of the cases, I'm stretching it a little bit. It's from hearing from the king. But the application is going to work. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Jonah. We're familiar with the story of Jonah. We've talked about him actually today, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> you're stealing a second message from me, Lord. But Jonah, Jonah's response, and, and you know what? I'm, I was originally going to um, save the readings for the, the next section, but I'm just going to flip to Jonah. And then you don't have to. I can read it out loud, but if you like to follow along and make sure that what I'm saying is actually in the Bible, please feel free to do that. I'm going to read in the book of Jonah. And I'm just going to read a really brief portion. Um, Just the first, uh, the first two verses in the first line of the next verse. So Jonah chapter one, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee. So Jonah, hearing the word of God and knowing that it was directly for him and how he should go on a mission to Nineveh, he chooses to evade. He wants to run. He wants no part in Nineveh. And can I be honest with you? Brother Scott was talking about the eight cities today. As soon as he mentioned Vegas, man, I'm a little bit like Jonah. I'm like, mm, not there, Lord. I, not, not there. That's, a, that's an awful place. Do I not believe what we heard about this weekend, about the compassion that my savior has for the souls, two million souls in Las Vegas. Do I not believe that? Evade is one of the potential attitudes or, or options out of my heart. And I'm just being real with you. Uh, sometimes I, I want to evade 
what God wants. Sometimes I want to evade a mission field that looks like a minefield to me. While we're in the Old Testament, we'll flip back. Um, Let's go to Exodus chapters 3 and 4. I'm just going to highlight a couple pieces there. You already know. You've heard Exodus. You're going Moses. You're right. Um, Exodus chapter 3, and again, we talked about this. So if I seemed really nervous leading up, uh, I was. Uh, We talked about this a little bit already, but Moses sees the burning bush. He goes to check it out. God God identifies himself to Moses. He tells Moses to go. And there's really Moses has sort of back and forth with God um, where he says, who am I in verse 11 of chapter 3? So he's doubting his own credentials. He's saying, "Ah, you don't want to send me. Who am I? Like, uh, I shouldn't go. And God says, no, you're going to go and I'm going to give you a token. And and so Moses says, okay, but... But what happens when the children of Israel have questions that I can't answer? They're gonna they're gonna want to know who you are and what like what am I supposed to say? And and so God gives him the answer there. And then uh, yeah, he keeps going and he says, but they're not gonna believe me. In chapter four, verse one, they're gonna say the Lord hasn't really appeared to you. And um, so I'll maybe give you a chance to guess, but those three of the four. Um, so far, what's what's Moses doing that starts with the letter E? He's coming up with something that starts with the letter E. I saw a really beautiful lady mouth the word, but excuses. Well, Anna nailed it. Yeah, Moses is making excuses. Ah, you know, Lord, I just got a promotion at work, so I really can't go right now to wherever you're sending me. Ah, Lord, I got, you know, wife and kids really wouldn't want to move. There's all kinds of excuses we could come up with. All kinds. And so I just want to check my own attitude. And, and I'm offering that to you as an opportunity to check your attitude with me so that I'm not alone in this. Let's check this. Am I trying to evade some mission field that looks kind of like a minefield to me? Am I trying to make excuses that justify me jumping ship and not going to a mission field? There's a third guy. I'm going to go to, I'll just tell you, you've heard of him before, uh, I, I believe. Uh, if you want to check in on him, he's in 2 Timothy 4. Um, and Paul writing says, But Demas hath forsaken me. He loved the present evil age. Demas ejected. He was on the mission. We, we read about Demas in the Bible before this. He was on mission. He was with Paul. And he hit that e- eject button because there was other stuff that was more important to him. There's other things that, that had more glory in his eyes than the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Most of you here know me and you've heard my story before. You know that I became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I repented of my sin and accepted Him as my Savior when I was 13. But it wasn't until I was 28 that I really lived like it. Because there was things in the world that I really wanted. I wanted to be good at sports. wanted to get the girls, which I got a pretty good one. So that worked out. Sports career never really took off. But there was a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted. And it mattered to me and I valued it and it was a treasure and I forsook and I didn't walk after God. I hit that eject button real early in my Christian walk and I'm so thankful for the grace of God to bring me back about 10 years ago. I didn't deserve it. I was about as far from him as I could have gotten without actively denouncing my faith. And so it's possible to evade it's possible to make excuses it's possible to hit that eject button i hope none of us have any of these attitudes but i just want to remind us that it's possible that we do and that we can have a time to check ourselves i want to take you to a story about one of my favorite characters in the bible he's so unheralded uh you you maybe have never even heard of him Uh, i happen to spend a lot of time in the old testament i enjoy it and so he's one of my favorite characters. His name's Benaiah. 
And uh, in 1 Kings 2, you can find David has given instructions to Solomon about what he's supposed to do. Uh, some of it is very veiled threats about, well, this guy offended me, but I promised not to kill him. This guy did this thing, but I promised that he would stay alive as long as I was. And a bunch of kind of veiled threats. But anyways, um, the, the story around Solomon coming to the throne looks like this. Uh, Benaiah, who's been fanatically loyal to David, he's a top dog in the army, becomes Solomon's right-hand man. And as you read through the book of First Kings, a number of times, in First Kings chapter 2, first it's Adonijah who's scheming and politic, political scheming, trying to maybe consolidate some power so he can be a threat to Solomon. He's, he's given chances and yet he doesn't, uh, yeah, he doesn't act with integrity. And King Solomon, sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. Then you go down a few more verses. Joab. Joab's been a bit of a thorn in the side of the kingly line. He's been a really good general, but he's also murdered a bunch of dudes, and it's been a, it's been a really bad situation having Joab and he's he's a relative of King David, and it's just it's really messy. And verse twenty nine, you find out then Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada saying, "Go follow on him," and he does. Um, you find out that uh, verse in verse thirty four is where you find out that it was accomplished. Shimei is next. Anyway, I'm not going to keep reading about this guy and all the people he killed. But the, the word is execute. I, don't, I mean, literally, he does go and execute people. I just mean he's a man of action. And God says, go. And in this case, the king says, Benaiah, go. And he goes. And he does what he got told to do. And, and man, I find that really impressive. Because this guy is like, he's a leader in the army. He's, he's a big shot. Solomon is like this young pup of a king. He's like not even the oldest of David's sons. Like he's not, his brothers aren't seemingly supporting him. Like there's a bit of rivalry and stuff. But I could have easily schemed to get himself better things or a brighter future or whatever, but he doesn't. He looks to the king and says, what do you want me to do? The king tells him and he goes and does it. Man, I wish I was more like him. I wish I was more like Benaiah and less like Jonah and Moses and Demas. My attitude, if I check myself, reflects at different times in my life, each of these four. And possibly that's true for you. And, and this is what I'm excited about, is to transition from our attitudes into our response. Because our attitudes is how we, we're checking ourselves, we're seeing what kind of a person am I? How am I responding to this picture of the glory that I've seen of God? The appropriate response, might I suggest from the scripture, the appropriate response to seeing the glory of God unveiled repeatedly is to fall on our faces. Over and over through the scriptures, we have these encounters where the glory of the Lord appears where the Lord is transfigured on the mountain where John is in the spirit on the Lord's day and the Lord shows up fiery. And yeah, the, the appropriate response is to fall on our faces in worship and submission and to say, Lord, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? You've done everything for me. What can I do for you? And so we want to be people like Benaiah, I would suggest to you. So there's three types of response that I want to talk about. One of them is, is pretty, is like a personal, um, if I were, if I were to lay them out, I would say it's a send me and, and Jeremy's already read the passage. So I'll just refer you back to Isaiah six. Um, it's, it's a personal encounter with God where God says something and, and we hear. Our brothers shared about that, about how he, he was personally in, in prayer and, and seeking God's face, and he ended up in freedom. 
man personally in prayer, seeking God's face and knew that Phoenix was the next city. And so, so there's personal encounters with God in which the attitude of the heart was, here am I, send me. Here I am. I'll go. The, like that passage is amazing. God's saying, Who, who's going to speak to the people? And Isaiah's like just been on the ground and just had, and he's like, I'll go. Pick me. Man, what if my heart was like that? What if I heard, I mean, sometimes it's a little risky when every time we hear about God working somewhere, we're like, I want to go. Uh, I, I tend that way. Uh, I get really excited when I hear God's working and I want to go check it out. Um, and yet there will be a call of God to go is my response. I'll go, send me. That should be my response. It's a response to seeing the glory. It's a response to an intimate relationship with Christ. Uh, I, I didn't make it to Ethan's session. Sorry, bro. But I, I heard that Ethan talked about intimacy leading into mission, into serving, into compassion, and into knowing the will of God in your life. And that's a really powerful thing to recognize that um, that's, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ wants he wants an intimate relationship with you and I. And that we don't have to be jealous about that because we're not each of us getting a little peace. We, we all get all of his love. What an amazing savior. What an amazing friend. And so we have the response on a personal level of saying, send me. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple verses in Matthew 28. Um. This is the Great Commission, we call it. And, and then I want to, from these two verses, uh, look at four things that it says. Um, and this is, a, this is more of a followers of Jesus response. So there's a personal response when you've had a direct revelation. The Lord has shown you through your time with him of what to do. And, and you're saying, send me. Um, this one is a response that should spur us on together. We're, we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ here. We're disciples. And so we should be spurred on together here. <clears throat> Go ye therefore, the Lord Jesus says, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so the four things that Jesus says here, um, there's probably more, but go. So, so we don't get to just sit here in the tent and wait for people to come to us. Um, I think that's a big trap that Christians in North America, nominal Christians for sure, um, have fallen into is that we expect, you know, as part of a church that every Sunday we had a gospel meeting. I never invited anybody. That's to my shame. I'm not, but, but we had a, a, a service specifically for sharing the great news that you can have eternal life now. And I never brought a single person to that. Why? Because I was expecting them to come to us. And, and so go is part of what the Lord Jesus expects from his followers. Teach. The, there are other passages say preach. We're, we're supposed to be sharing the good news of the gospel with people. We're supposed to be showing them the way of life, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's an important part of the commission that the Lord Jesus gave, and he gave that to all followers of Christ. And so we should be spurring each other on in these things. So if, if you're going somewhere and you're going to be sharing with people and you want to bring someone along, that's awesome. We should be doing that with each other. We should say, hey, I'm going to go visit so-and-so and they're not a believer and you want to come with? And then we'll go together and then tag team. No, we'll, we'll share the gospel more effectively because maybe we'll see things that each other don't see in, in their responses. Another part is baptizing them. So these people should be growing. They should be going on. There should be some sign of life and what does hinder me from being baptized is what the Ethiopian would say, 
There, there should be progress, and we should be seeing that, and we should be discipling and, and pouring into these people. That, that's a part of mission. We're not just here to get a whole bunch of converts. I don't, I don't really care how many people tell me, oh yeah, you know, I said a prayer, and Jesus, there should be some signs of life. There should be some evidence that that's true. And I'm going to hit the pause button real quick here. And I just want to tell you that it doesn't matter how old you are, you can show evidence. And I'm going to give you two illustrations. And I'm very glad that the people I'm going to mention aren't in, under the tent because they'd be really embarrassed. I want to talk to you about a couple of young guys that this summer are getting an experience. They're, they're working with us at Youth for Christ. And I want to talk, and they're off with the kids now. And so these young guys are able to pour into the lives of these kids. So I, like Scott this morning, I might tend to brag about, so I'm, I'm going to rein myself in. I'm going to tell you one story. Okay, that's it. One, one story. Um, Andrew was here, Andrew Worth. He does some mission work with YFC. He comes alongside us and does some mission work. And, and last week there was a camp out. And so Andrew got to connect with some more of the kids than he usually does. And the kids were telling him a story that Tyler had told them last week. And they still remembered it almost a week later. And they were like, oh, we learned this and we learned this. And he was blown away. And he thought, wow, that's amazing. And so then he told me, and my heart just swelled right up within me and I can hardly contain it. I'm so excited because God's working in young people. Tyler's the same age as some of the people in the tent right now. He's younger than some of you. And God used Tyler and God can use you. And that's awesome. And if, you, if you're even younger than Tyler, don't worry. Because just the other day, um, when we didn't really have a full game plan for the kids, um, a group of little girls the oldest of whom was 10, decided to have a little prayer meeting. And I, got, I spied out one of the notes where they had been listing the prayers they were praying. Sounds like they heard the message about therefore pray and put it into practice. You guys, it could be any of us. And, and we've talked about how mission works where each of us is equipped differently. And so my mission is going to be different than Scott's mission. And that mission is going to be different than Norman's mission. And that mission is going to be different than Ethan's mission and Laurel's mission. We, we all have a different mission from the Lord. And it doesn't matter how old or young or handsome or whatever, how talented you are. What matters is if God's given you a mission, he will equip you for that mission. And I, I had that passage in Philippians already ready to go and somebody else used it. So I'm now I can't, it's taken for the day. But no, it, it's, it's a powerful thing that God gives you to will and to do his good pleasure. If he says, go, go to Vegas and preach the gospel, he's going to equip you for that. Now there will hopefully be some, some prep work in your own life. We need sanctification. We need to die daily to ourselves Man, that could be any of us. Just living a life so vibrantly, so innocently, just, oh, well, yeah, we should pray. Let's write a list of things we want to pray about. And just, what a powerful thing. Oh, you know what? I am going to tell a story to these kids about how Jesus worked in someone's life. And those kids remember it. And that's awesome. And so our response as followers is to go and to teach and to baptize. But there's a piece there that I think uh, at least a few people under the tent are going to really appreciate. And it's, it's this, I'm with you always. We get to abide too. Yes, we need to go. Yes, we need to do things. And yes, there should be fruits of that in the lives of people around us, but, and, and especially in our own lives too. But, but that comes from abiding. Right? John 15, the Lord Jesus talked about that. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Branches, you can't do it without me. You need to be rooted in me in order to produce any fruit. And so this abiding is such an important response that we need to give to this glorious picture of who Christ is. So personally, as, as an individual in the tent, we, me and you, we, 
can say, here I am, send me. And as followers of Christ, we can go and we can teach and we can baptize and we can make disciples and we can abide. And that's awesome. As I look around the tent, a significant percentage of us are from ABC. So allow me, if you're not from ABC, you can also use this, but I'm going to aim this at you if you're from ABC. Something for the church, and it's in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We've talked about a personal response. We've talked about a collective response as followers, but there's a church response as well. And I think it's important, and I just want to talk about it. Acts chapter 13, I'm just going to read the first three verses. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so as a church, there's a, there's a response from us too. And that's to see who's living the life. And that's to separate when God calls to separate. So we had the privilege last week of having Rebecca Hofer come and share about Saudi Arabia and, and how she'd been there as a nurse and how she was going into missions in Jordan eventually into hopefully Syria. And just, she talked about that. She talked a little bit. I don't know if you had the chance to chat with her too much, but she talked about how her church was sending her. So her home church where she, she fellowships was sending her into the mission field. What an awesome thing. To, to, as a church, if we collectively, ABC, saw someone and said, you have been specifically chosen by God to go there and we can all see it go right so the the as followers of Christ we we should be saying let's go but as a church that's sending let's send what an awesome thing it would be as a church to send into the harvest field now don't get me wrong i'm not saying that going to some foreign country is is the way that we're going to send. Some of that sending might be, hey, you've got friends that live a few hours away. You need to go spend some time there and make sure that they really know the gospel. Hey, have you heard about this work that's going on in the summer? And it's going to be a few weeks and you're going to have to tent in somebody's yard and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable and you're going to have to sacrifice a little, but you get to share the gospel with people every day. We want to send you. We think you should go. Your guests suit that perfectly. Oh man, we really need somebody to do this. What an awesome thing if we as a church could could clearly see the fruit of the Spirit in each other to such a point that we're saying the Lord has called you and anointed you for this specific mission. Go with our blessing. We, We want to support you. We want to help you. We're not trying to kick you out, but we are trying to send you. Let's go. And maybe we can go and visit when they're away and maybe take them some baking or cheer them up or whatever. I just, I have family that have been on the mission field for a long, long time. I have an uncle that's been in Mexico for uh, 30 years, probably. I, I don't really know. And I know from talking to some missionaries there just how lonely it can get. And so as a church, when we do send someone, we don't just send them and forget them. We're not just like, well, we've done our part. See you later. No, we're, we're going to, Therefore, pray. (laughs) And we're going to pray for more laborers to go. And we're going to pray that more people come in and we can disciple them and we send out more. And and some of those people that we're sending out, again, if I haven't been clear, I'm I'm not always talking about going to some foreign country to be a missionary. Some of those people are going to be going out into our community. Some of those people are going to be saying, hey, you know what, instead of a full time job, I'm going to work a part time job so I can go help Becky Q up at Sandy Bay three days a week. I don't know what your call is from God. If, if he shows it to me, I'll tell you. But, but man, wouldn't it be awesome 
If as a church we had the privilege of sending, that's what happened in Antioch. And, and just so we're clear, Antioch didn't just fall apart because Paul and Barnabas weren't there anymore. It didn't. Because over and over again in the book of Acts, we read that after a mission trip, Paul's debriefing in Antioch. He's going back. There's continued, sustained, ongoing fellowship and connection with the people of God where he came from. He wasn't originally from Antioch, but they, they're his sending church. And it was a really big deal. They, he kept checking in with them and they kept checking in on him. Oh man, if we could only separate for the work, Paul and Barnabas, this weekend... If even one of us, and I'm including myself in this, if even one of us is, is commissioned for the work, what an awesome thing. If even one of us looks at our lives and says, you know what, I've been evading, but I'm going to execute what God's given me. There's a neighbor down the street I haven't talked to because he's a little scary, but I'm going to go talk to him and I'm going to share the gospel with him. If even one of us does that, the, I... I can't speak for everyone, but I'm gonna anyway. I think every speaker and every small group leader, everyone that participated here would say, yes, the gospel got to one more who didn't have it before. What a thrill. And so as we've, as we've had this conference and we've talked about who Jesus is and what this harvest is and how big this harvest is, 580 million people in North America, and I can't fathom that number. I don't know about you. I can barely fathom. No, I can't fathom. I don't know how big almost 40 million Canadians is. I can barely fathom 15,000-ish people in Portage. That's more people than I can remember all the names of. What a plentiful harvest. And so my prayer as I, as I prepared for this session was that there would be an attitude check in my own heart and maybe even someone else here. That, that there would be a response that would come out from me and maybe even someone else here. That we would glorify our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would live our lives for Him even more tomorrow than we have been doing. And even more the day after that. And it's, it's going to build. We're going to grow. That's, that's the aim. So, so we've, we've covered a summary. We've talked about attitude. We've talked about response. Now I want to do a, a bit of a send-off. I want to give you a couple of verses from a couple of different writers in the New Testament. And I want to think about them for a little bit. And then I'm going to ask for a couple songs, three songs, two or three songs maybe. Um, to allow us time to just process that, to, to worship God through song, perhaps, but also to process. If there's something that I've said that's really sitting on you, uh, that's the Spirit, not me, just to be clear. Praise God for that. Um, if there's something that was said this weekend that's really just, you can't just get that little barb out. It's really poked in and God's working on you. I, want you to, I don't want to just abruptly end, like, ta-da, we're done. That's not how I want this to end. And I don't think that that's how the Lord wants us to end. It's not that I finish speaking and I pray and we immediately scatter to the, to the wind. No, let's think about this. Let's process and, and meditate and be with the Lord for a few songs after. So I'm just going to give you these two passages um, for the note takers if you want to write them down. Um, one's Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy um, chapter 6 and verse 12 where it says fight the good fight of faith we've talked about that today what's that good fight of faith? prayer that's part of it at least fight the good fight we're warriors if we're in, in prayer fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life Lay hold on eternal life. Do we actually believe? Do I actually believe that eternal life is now? That I actually have some otherworldly component? I'm not just a dude standing here talking, but the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God of Heaven 
lives inside of me. That's otherworldly. That's alien to our culture that we live in. That is bizarre. And am I okay with that? Have I thought about that? That Have I laid hold on this eternal life? Am I enjoying my walk with Christ? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. I'm going to leave the rest of the verse and go to the next um, verse I wanted to share with you. And it's one of the, it's some of the last words of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, where he says, Therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you know, you've heard. We've talked about a lot of things this weekend and you know them. So we got to beware because I don't know if you guys have heard all the different stories of warfare that have been going on, but man, brother Nathan, when he was sharing, was talking about how um, one of the things we can know about open doors is that there's adversaries and there's weakness. Um, There's been a lot of adversaries leading up to this. There's been a lot of weakness on display and that's not me taking shots at anybody. I'm, I'm weak. And through that, God can be glorified. So beware. Grow in grace and knowledge. That knowledge is scientific knowledge, tested, proven Known, confirmed. Have you confirmed? Do you know? Have you tested and proven the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you grown in that knowledge? Man, I sure hope you have. I've watched it happen in a bunch of your lives. Some of you that I know better. I've watched you grow. As I talk about our kids and how some of them are displaying some of these fruits, we're watching them grow in grace. We're watching them grow in an understanding of who Christ is, a knowledge of him, a knowledge of him that can only be acquired through experience, through walking with him. So, dear ones, as a send-off, I want to urge you to fight the good fight. Therefore, pray. I want to encourage you to lay hold on eternal life. Lordship demands surrender. To lay hold on eternal life, to lay hold on eternal things, I have to lay down these temporary things. I have to die to self and live to Christ. You know these things. You've seen these things. There's a danger that will have some passion but not want the suffering that goes along with it. And so we'll evade or make excuses or eject rather than execute what God gives us. So beware. If you're under conviction by the Lord this week, beware. Because the enemy is going to try and stop that. No true work of the Lord goes unopposed. Grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So I'm just, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask for a few songs we can sing. You feel free to not sing if you're really meditating and, and communing with the Lord. Um, but yeah, I'll pray, and then we'll sing a few songs. Um, Father, we... The appropriate response is to bow in your presence and to just acknowledge that you are the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Our vision of the Lord Jesus Christ to see his compassion, to see that he sees things so radically differently than we do and he's compelled by his compassion to act to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he took our place, 
that he offers a free gift of salvation. That isn't just a rescue from damnation, but actually it's, it's eternal life. It's some different quality of life, some otherworldly experience where somehow the Holy Spirit of God inhabits us. God, we just fall on our faces before you and acknowledge that you are God. That your son is so precious and that he deserves everything we could give. And far more. Lord, I pray that even one of us here today would have the heart to say, I will give. Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your son and the many things we can read of him in your scriptures, the many things we can learn about him through conversation with others and through our daily walk. I want to thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ wants a relationship, an intimate love relationship with each of us. Lord, you know far better than we that we are not worthy of such love. I pray that you will change my heart towards people who I feel are not worthy. That I would see people the way you see people. The way the Lord Jesus saw people and had compassion on them. Lord, I pray that this weekend will not go by as just a blip on the radar. That we'll say, oh, that was good teaching and good fellowship and it was a good time. And leave here unchanged. But Lord I ask that you would. Do your work. That as much as you see fit. That you would. Tell us what you see. And that you would. Show us. What you wish to show us. We've heard of many opportunities. Locally. Regionally and internationally. To take the gospel. To all nations. Lord, I pray that we would not be quick to forget. Lord, I pray that we would be quick to give you glory and honor, that we would be bold to share the glory of the gospel that Christ Jesus died for sinful men like me, that we might have eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time that we could spend with you, talking about you, remembering things that we've learned about you over the years. I pray that you will have received honor and glory and fame throughout this weekend as we've talked about some of your beautiful attributes. I pray for each one of us here that we will leave, yes, convicted, but also encouraged and strengthened in our most holy faith. That each of us here will fight the good fight. That we'll be prayer warriors for you because you're worth it. I pray to you in the holy and precious, beautiful name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.